Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Sports cars is having somewhat of a revival right now. Over the last couple of years, there's been so many interesting storylines to follow. Let me tell you about what you could and possibly should be watching in 2023, and that is some racing that is unpredictable, is fascinating, is technologically driven, and yet may, just possibly may, be passing you by a little bit. And we'll tell you about the state of sports car racing in 2023 with my two guests today, joined here at Silverstone by Gary Watkins and James Newbold. Thank you very much for coming back onto the Autosport podcast. And nice to be here in person at Silverstone once again recording. Absolutely. It's always great to come to Silverstone. It's a shame uh, I haven't been here for a while for a major sports car race, but I guess... Strange times recently. <laughs> I hope one day the WEC comes back here. I don't think it's going to be next year, but in the fullness of time, you know, I'm praying that Britain has a uh, a major sports car race again. Last time you and I were here, I think it was the nine five six nine six two sort of collection that they bought out, wasn't it? Oh yeah, well I came um, I came for the classic yes, last year. That was so, it. Yeah, they yeah. wheeled them all out. There was so many of them here. I forget how many they had, but oh they, yeah, it was a great a great showing. It was brilliant. They brought them all together and gave them all some runs, and that was fantastic. And our second guest is someone who is familiar to our podcast listeners, and that is James Newbold, who is here to fill us in on sports cars in 2023. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Martin. Yeah, I've been back on the WEC beat for the first time in, well, a very long time. I only ever did it previously as a sort of one-off basis at Le Mans each year, in and out. So it's been nice going to the last two rounds at Portimao and, and Spa to get my teeth back into it again before before Le Mans comes around. All right, well, let's get into what we have sort of, we, we call this podcast the state of play because it's not specifically a post-Spa review, which is all the, which is when we are recording it all getting together, but really to look at how 2023 has gone so far. And actually, Gary, if you would just sort of lay the table a bit for us, because as much as the easy kind of 
shorthand version is to say it's all different this year and there's loads of people competing. It's not. It's been an evolution over the last couple of years. So how did we get to where we are in 2023 in terms of the headline rule changes and the headline teams entering? Okay, well, new rules in 2021, which was which was when the hypercar class was introduced into the WEC. Now, Toyota were the first people to come in with a car that is actually built to the Le Mans hypercar rules. So, again, in sports car racing, it's not clear. Uh, it's a slightly confusing situation because in the hypercar class from this year, we now have LMDH classes, slightly a different rule set, and that has brought Porsche and uh, Cadillac in. Uh, they're one of... Uh, they are two of four brands competing who have built LMDHs for this year. The other two are BMW and Acura, who are racing in in the IMSA series in uh, North America. Next year, we'll see BMW in the WEC as well. Acura, probably not. If it, if we do see them in the WEC, it will probably be badged as something else, presumably a Honda. Uh, so that's that's how it's evolved. Toyota were the first people to do an LMDH, then Glickenhaus, then last year after Le Mans, Peugeot came in with their wingless 9X8. And then this year we've got the biggest news of all, Ferrari back in top line sports car racing with a factory team after an absence of 50 years. So even I can't yeah. remember when they were uh, <laughs> they were racing uh, last time. So So that's what we've got. We've got five full house manufacturers in in competing in the top class of the WEC and then we've got the two garageists and we should never forget them because they are an essential part of sports car racing always have been and I hope always will be and and that's Glickenhaus who I just mentioned and Vanwall which is a sort of continuation of the by college team who are using the uh, Van Wall name, the great Van Wall name. Yeah, and of course, James, a, a rule set or a, a coming together of rules to try and bring together a little bit our North American listeners who will know one form of endurance racing and our European listeners who will be familiar with something else. How's that gone and is it working? Uh, how do you think that is working so far and, and what do we need to do to um, finesse that a little bit? Well, the LMDH cars made their debut in the opening round of the IMSA Championship at Daytona, and there was a lot of concern that, you know, before the start of the race, would this be an enduro a bit like the start of the Daytona prototype regulations when a GT car won outright? And those fears were quickly put to bed. The the cars proved pretty reliable. As Gary mentioned, only a couple of manufacturers that, that have a presence in IMSA have also been in WEC. That's Porsche and Cadillac. Cadillac has, has gone pretty well in, in, in its appearances so far. Um, it was the, the first LMDH car home in the opening round of the WEC at Sebring. Um, Porsche became the first LMDH manufacturer to get on the podium in Portimao. It could be said that they profited largely from, from problems for Ferrari and for, for Toyota. Porsche came close again to, to getting on the podium in Spa. They, they only lost out on the final lap to Ferrari courtesy of a, a James Collado charge. Um, so it, it's been going pretty well. I mean, as Gary said, they're fundamentally different regulation sets. So the you could call it the spine 
of the car um, is based on an LMP2 chassis and there is a spec hybrid components, rear, rear axle driven and, and that's made up from um, different bits from Extract, from Williams Advanced Engineering and from Bosch. Different powertrains, different aerodynamics. So in that sense, it's similar to what we had before in IMSA with the Daytona Prototype International Regulations. These cars have good pedigree in IMSA. We've yet to see them beat a, a Le Mans hypercar that's going to be a subject of, of rumbling debate due to the how the balance of performance, the so-called platform balance of performance works between the Le Mans hypercars and the LMDH cars, which is something that may or may not change depending on who you speak to ahead of Le Mans. Well, just that just that answer there about it's not one common rule set, it's a spine of a car, and then that, or that already leads into what we'll get to today, Gary, which is the thing that sometimes sports cars do far too well, which is to confuse people. Uh, so they've got this wonderful opportunity to shout about these amazing names back, and yet it still needs a little more effort than some series to fully understand it. But when you do fully understand it, it's worth the effort. What fans understand is great racing on track between great marks, great looking cars, and we've definitely got that and we've got all the marks. We've got the foundation stones. That's a great setup for getting into, like you say, what could be a very easy sell for sports cars, which is look at all of these names that are, that are racing and we will start at the very top. And rightly so with Ferrari, 50 years away and back at Le Mans this year as a proper factory entry in prototypes. In so, the top class, yes, going yeah. for overall honours. That's the significance of this. So tell us about how the year has gone so far. We're recording this off the back of Spa, which I guess if you look at the pure lap times, you might be thinking, well, they're not there yet, but they're coming forwards. Other people might be a little bit more optimistic about Ferrari. I'll ask both of you how you're feeling about Ferrari's uh, re-entry into the prototypes. Well, first of all, pretty impressive debut at Sebring. Pole position, a podium, not not fighting for victory, two laps down at the end, the, the third place car, but a pretty impressive start and two cars to the end of the race reliably. One, ha- one needed a stop for repairs after a bit of a shunt, but two cars to the end of the race reliably. Another podium, second time out at Portimao. Uh, one small technical issue uh, with the brake-by-wire system on one car, but another podium on the car that ran cleanly. One lap down on the uh, winning Toyota. Spa, no pole position, but an amazing race performance, particularly from the third-place car, uh, in which, as James said, James Collado snatched third on the final final lap. Now that car was the, if you do the averages, that car was the quickest car over the course of the six hours. Can we confidently say that if it hadn't have had two delays, because it had made two emergency pit stops, one when a broken wheel caused a tyre to deflate, one when it needed, uh, needed fuel during a safety car and therefore can only take on uh, a splash, five, a five-second splash of fuel and a sort of strategic error, well, what I would call an error, but they, they would say was part of their sort of safety-first strategy at the start by start, starting on, on wets rather than the slicks of the Toyota. Without those, would they have won? Well, I can't say that for for certain, but they would have been closer and they were just over a minute down at the end. This was a race that started damp, was, you know, a a, a sort of a slick track for quite a a time. There were four safety cars, three full-course yellows, 
people were running on different tyres. There were three different specifications of Michelin slick allowed. Uh, it's very difficult to say for sure. Without X, Y and Z, <laughs> yeah, they exactly, could have yeah. won. But, but, they, yeah. but they could have been closer and they could, you know, I think they could have made more of a fight of it. And as you said, Gary, because they were starting so far back, because of taking a different tyre strategy at the start, for a, for a fair while, maybe the first two hours of the race, they were behind the LMP2 leader. That was how long it took them to get back into the race. And right. they went a lap down pretty early in the second hour. Yeah. But their strategy, their setup strategy and their tyre strategy made them quick at the end of the race. And, that, and that's why it's so hard to draw judgments. And you can't say for sure, well, if they hadn't have had that delay or that delay, yeah. they would have been... And right. fundamentally, it was a different position that Toyota were in managing the race, where Ferrari was always trying to push to get back into yeah, it. exactly. They were playing catch-up, whereas, whereas, yeah, Toyota were controlling things out front. How has that journey been, Gary, from when you went to the Toyota, uh, sorry, the Ferrari launch event, um, maybe not quite a year ago? But oh no 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 no! It was uh, it was at Imola in the autumn. So um, how, how's it? What, what's the Ferrari journey been like from then when you first got to see the car, um, talk to the drivers, etc., uh, to when you first eventually saw it not only on track but in competitive action? Well, a hell of a lot of testing. You know, they have pushed the boat out, and unlike a lot of manufacturers, they were testing with two cars pretty early on. Even Toyota, and you might say, "Oh, Toyota have a big budget," and they would, they would, they would uh, shoot you down if you tried to say that. You know, they all always have done gone testing with a single development car. Peugeot do the same; they don't go testing with their race cars; they have a development car. Ferrari, because they were, as they saw it, they were trying to make up for lost time. They had two cars running pretty early in their development program, which started early July last year. That's when the car hit the track for the first time at Fiorano, of course, because all Ferraris have to sort of be christened at Fiorano. Of course. And quite rightly so. Quite rightly so. But of course, there's testing on your own and then there's getting into competition. And obviously, when you're testing, you don't really know where you are. And you're also running on a a track that's not rubbered in. Uh, And that is so crucial in this kind of racing where you're trying to, it's looking after your tyres because you have to double stint or at Le Mans we'll be seeing triple stints and quadruple stints. Um, and it's all about looking after your tyres. And it's it's so difficult to judge uh, the deg on a, on a what you would call is a green track. So, you know, they knew however many kilometres they'd done, and I think they'd done something like 25,000 as they arrived in Sebring, they knew that the the learning curve was was still steep from the moment they hit competition. James, how are you feeling about uh, Ferrari's return so far? Have they acquitted themselves very well? Not to imply they wouldn't be you know match fit turning up to the um, the first event, but um, as as Gary says, different testing to the the atmosphere when you go racing. How do you think they've done? I mean, it's difficult to say what I expected from them other than clearly stepping up from GTE Pro, the Air Corsa team that runs the Ferrari Hypercar project knows the championship very well. It's been a winner in everything at, at every, you know, at every point. So, you know, it's one thing to be 
really competitive in the GT field where pretty much their only rival was was Porsche. Occasionally Corvette popped up last year and, and at Monza we, we saw Corvette take a surprise Don't win. Get Aston Martin until well, I, yes, in, 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 the, in the most recent... We are, in, we, are, we are not far from Aston Martin headquarters and not far from ProDrive, which of course runs Aston Martin in, racing. In, so in, yes, in, in the most recent years. I mean, we've, we've also, of course, seen Ford and, and BMW and, and the likes take on Ferrari in, in GT Pro. But it's a very different thing to be how you manage the race when you're fighting outright in the hypercar field versus in the in the GTE pro ranks because there's so many other things that you've got to factor like for example being lapped and and how you know the the, the difference that, that that brings in setting up a car to be on the front for overtaking other cars for the bulk of the lap and of course as well with a brand new project this is um, as you know, we've mentioned several times, the first time that Ferrari's been at the front, that's a different kind of pressure as well that that brings. So we expected that, that Toyota would be making the running. This is, of course, a, a different car. For to, it's an evolutionary car from Toyota. So it's not like they've turned up with the exact same car from last year. But we did expect Toyota to make the running. And for Ferrari, as the programme matured to be getting closer. And so in that respect, I, you can say that Ferrari is, is, is doing about as well as we could expect. Of course, Ferrari is going to say, we want to be winning straight away, we are Ferrari. Yeah. But I think... They've never said that, to be fair. They've, <laughs> you know, they've said, we're coming into this with humble with humility and humble ex, uh, expectations. Well, they have to say that. They can't, they can't come in saying, we're going to beat everyone from day one and also I will this is where the two this is where our two experts you have permission to roll your eyes at me and but I will I will say this because I think it's important to a lighter fan such as myself in prototypes I think the Ferraris are recognisable if that does that make sense because obviously in GT you know what a Ferrari looks like but obviously in prototypes you uh, you haven't got that instant recognition. It's a very Ferrari livery, isn't it? And so when you see them, I'm I get excited because they look like a Ferrari. Well, that's what they've tried to achieve, <laughs> okay. and that's what the regulations allow you to do. Unlike previous prototype regulations in LMP1, where basically the wind tunnel in your CFD program and pure efficiency would decide the shape of the car. Now you can have big styling inputs into the car because the targets that are set in the rules are very, very modest. So I'm glad it wasn't a stupid thing for me yeah. to say. But, and the Porsche but, looks like a Porsche. Yeah, that's, the, that's what I think is part of the, the pleasure of watching Absolutely. As, as a slightly lighter fan of tuning in to try and get up to speed on this is to then in, have that instant recognition to be able to follow the action and not feel like an outsider. And one of the nice things as well, actually listening to the cars even, is you oh, can really? really tell the engine note of the Cadillac. That's a very notable... Well, it's the only NA car you see. Okay. It's like a normally aspirated car. We've had this discussion where I, I think they should be called Atmo cars. Atmo cars, like in uh, <laughs> like we used to call Cosworth DFV cars in the early uh, early turbo era. Atmo cars, which I think was probably a Roebuck thing or something like that. <laughs> okay, um, so that's it. So we've t- but again, we can't really talk about Ferrari. James, you, you mentioned um, Toyota, but we can't really talk about them without comparing them to um, Toyota, who again, have got smiles on their faces this year, but do you think they'll be a little bit worried? Yeah, I think Ferrari made a massive step for Spa. Again, it is difficult to judge, but, you know, Toyota want opposition. They would say, 
we've won Le Mans every year since anyone can remember. You know, we still had credible opposition. You know, Le Mans is still a challenge. But they know from the perception from outside that who you beat is important. You know, rivalries are important in sport, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, Ali against Fraser or <laughs> Arsenal against Man United or Senna against Prost. Aren't, you know, rivalries are, are, are important and who you beat is significant. And that's why we overlook a certain world champions, isn't it, in Formula One, for well, example. Uh, yeah, you use so the- who they beat is really important. And they, and they understand that, even if logically they say it's not the case. So it's significant that they do have opposition. And I think they will... Genuinely, I think they want the opposition to be close. Of course, I, you want to go. Right, you want to prove yourself yeah, against the all best. All these people are racers. Yeah, you don't want to put all that money into all that effort and time and think, well, we had nobody to beat. Which for the last period of time, exactly, often that's been the case. Now you know, Ferrari are edging closer. I, for me, Toyota are still the favourites. Of course, they are because they've been. This is the third year of their Le Mans hypercar. It's a mature racing car. It's undergone one very significant evolution, a slightly lesser evolution for last year. So it's a well-tuned, well-developed and well-known racing car uh, to the team. They know every inch of that car, whereas everyone else is still getting on top of their car. It's fair to say, Gary, that they would have had three one-two finishes were it not for a you know, frankly, bizarre problem in, in Portugal. Yes, exactly. Yeah, where they had a, a, a sensor, sort of a series-mandated sensor broke and they had to change it. It was on the drive shaft. They just changed the whole rear corner because that's quicker. Uh, so, they, yeah, they would have had a 1-2 and they came back to get the 1-2 at Spa despite Brendan Hartley uh, crashing in uh, in qualifying and starting at the back. Well, we will come on to that in the second half of the podcast. We obviously haven't talked Cadillac, Porsche, Peugeot, uh, Glickenhaus, Van Wall, and we'll get into the classes as well in part two. We'll be back in a moment. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back to our Sportscast State of Play podcast. and telling you why, if you haven't given it a go uh, more recently, you should. And if you're a fan, uh, you'll know just how compelling this year has been so far. Of course, the build-up to Le Mans is now in full swing. The Spa is out of the way. Um, James, let's talk a little bit about uh, two more names, Cadillac and Porsche, should we? Uh, what do we need to know about those two names? Well, Cadillac is bringing... You could call it an armada of, of cars to to Le Mans. It's bringing um, 
the Action Express car that has so far only competed in IMSA and an additional car from Chip Ganassi Racing, which made an appearance at Spa, of course, in addition to its full season WEC entry. Um, Cadillac, of course, has had huge success in IMSA in recent seasons, won a lot of Daytonas, won a lot of IMSA championships. And so in some ways it's sort of put to bed the memory of Cadillac kind of being, you could maybe say simultaneously unprepared and overstretched at its last attempt at Le Mans two decades ago. Gary wrote a, a fantastic feature on that um, for Autosport magazine recently, which you can find on the plus section of autosport.com. There's my little plug. So Cadillac is a, is a, is a much stronger all-round force coming into Le Mans this year than, than it was um, in, in those days with the, the North Star LMP project. Um, and you could say, you know, it has a case to to be made that it's been the stronger of the LMDH manufacturers coming into this race. I mean, Gary will have more to say on that, I'm sure. But What about um, that massive accident, though, at O'Rouge? Does that put back their programme? Will they still bring all three three cars to, uh, to the one? I think they have enough cars. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, Chip Ganassi have more than two so that's not that's not a, a worry you know if there was a technical glitch and we they haven't uh disclosed what the uh, problem was there were there was talk of a power steering glitch perhaps uh although uh Renger van der Zander ran a hell of a lot of curb and damp curb because it was early in the race you know so whether they will tell us uh i don't know they didn't tell us about the engine fire um that they had during practice, they just described it as a uh, self-induced problem. Uh, that I'm told there was a bit of finger trouble in uh, the assembly of uh, of of something inside the car. Uh, so I don't, I don't, you know, it, it clearly it's a setback. They've they they've had a big shunt, and it's also a setback because that car was running second and had the potential to be on the podium. I think you know the Cadillac again was quicker than the Porsche at Spa. Uh, just as it, as it had been at Sebring and Portimao, when each time it it sort of just fell short of getting on the podium. So had actually either of the had that Cadillac continued running, I think Ferrari wouldn't have actually gone on the podium. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we wouldn't be shouting so loud so about about Ferrari. Ferrari. But I think that that car had the potential to get on the podium, as did the sister car, which. Cadillac went for a split strategy at the start. So the extra car uh, started on slicks and that was why it was running second because that was the correct call. The other car started on wet, so that had an early stop. Uh, but it was coming back through the field and it was sort of running. It was running sort of fourth, looking good for a podium. But they did something on their tyre strategy. They wouldn't say what because pe- because the teams don't normally tell us. Uh, which tyres they're running when, uh, and it dropped back. It, um, it didn't challenge the Porsche, and it and it dropped back behind the flying uh, Collado as well. Because at one point there was a really engrossing four-way fight, wasn't there, for, for third? It was after one of the safety cars where the, t- the two Toyotas were a lap clear of everybody else, and then we had this amazing scrap brewing for third between the two the two Ferraris, which were running at the time, and the, and the Porsche, which eventually dropped back to fourth. Um, I mean, yeah... 
in Portugal, again, they were running off sequence because of flat-spotted tyres coming into the pits. So at each of the last two races, the, the, the WEC full-season Cadillac has maybe been a little hard to, to judge because it's been running these off-sequence strategies. But the one time it's had a completely normal race, um, it finished fourth as, as the best LMDH entry in Sebring. Mm. Uh, and that's what makes us all the more compelling because we don't know have have all the answers yet. What about um, more about Porsche before we get on to Peugeot? Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, we've just been recording some other uh, podcasts talking about great Le Mans cars, and funny enough, Porsches uh, mention uh, appear quite high in those kind of lists. You know, Porsche was the one of the fir- probably the first manufacturer to decide uh, to do uh, an LMDH car, not actually the first manufacturer to commit because it was beaten to the punch by Audi, who subsequently uh, canned their program. Uh, it was the first LMDH car to run. It, it ran in ja- early January uh, last year. Um, so it's done a hell of a lot of testing. But, you know, they've got a struggle on the hands. The The car hasn't shown, well, it's shown more pace in IMSA, but it hasn't shown the pace in WEC. You know, had it have gone on the podium uh, at Spa, it it would have been, you know, pretty much down to good fortune funnily enough the the um the second car which was actually the quicker of the the two cars which was started by Lawrence uh, Van Torn he he was very uh, impressive in the damp conditions on a circuit he knows well he's from Belgium uh so perhaps we shouldn't have been uh surprised but that car just suddenly turned itself off and in the immediate aftermath of the race they didn't have any idea what the problem was but these are you know, complicated racing cars. It just decided to shut down. Even there was even no radio contact between driver and uh, and pits, and that and that's worrying because you know, reliability wise, you know, we saw we saw at uh, Daytona that both cars had problems. One had a battery problem, one had a, a gearbox problem. Both cars had uh, sort of electrical glitches at Sebring, you know. So on both fronts, it doesn't look good for Porsche, you know, as as they go back to Le Mans for the first time since uh, 17 in the 919, uh, looking for outright victory, which would be a 20th out, outright victory. I don't think it looks very good for them. You know, well, it doesn't look very good for them. And, you know, the, the only thing in their favour is that they've entered a third factory car uh, run by the Pent, Penske team so they're going to run free so numbers are in there on their side and they have the customer Jota car but you know I'm thinking in terms of pace and reliability mm. Mm, okay and then uh, finishing off on the uh, the manufacturers uh, James the distinctive Peugeot I mean you'd have to say it's been rather disappointing really I mean they obviously came into the WEC last season with the debut at Monza. A very, as you say, distinctive looking car. We were talking earlier about how the styling of these LM, LMH cars it, it is much more pronounced, should we say, compared to the LMP1 era. No rear wing on, on the Peugeot, so you know you know straight away that it's a Peugeot. And, and at Le Mans, that's running a, uh, an art car livery. So again, it'll be, it'll be sticking out, shall we say. But at no point really this year has has Peugeot looked like it's going to challenge for the podium, which is it is disappointing. Um, I mean, Sebring was a disaster caused by problems with a um, a gearbox 
actuator that they knew would be an issue prior to Sebring but hadn't been able to affect a change for. At Spa, both cars were on the conservative strategy of starting on, on wets like the Ferraris, but it didn't really look at any point like they would recover in the manner that Ferrari managed to do. And that was despite... Um, one of the the Peugeots with um, Gustavo Menezes at one point being the furthest ahead of the cars that had switched tyres. I mean, as Gary says, we don't know which compound of tyres, unlike in Formula One, we don't know whether Peugeot, for instance, had gone to a softer um, tyre that would warm up faster but degrade significantly faster. So it's maybe not fair to say that in those conditions they were running comparable tyre strategies. We don't know whether that's the case. Um, but it was a disappointing race for, for Peugeot. They were beaten by the, the Jota um, Porsche, which was untested other than a shakedown at Visac. And don't forget they all, you know, they finished behind the LM, behind LMP2 cars, yeah. you know. So, I mean, it, it's very hard to judge... Uh, <laughs> It, it's strange because you know we saw real signs of progress through their free race program last year uh and then sebring was a disaster and i think they hadn't tested there it's a very specific circuit it's a concrete service it's as bumpy as hell you know i think you could almost write that off say forget about that they got to portimao and they look better at portimao now portimao was a circuit they tested at a lot uh and they were sort of in the mix, weren't they? You know, they they weren't they weren't there shooting for a podium, but they were in a race. Then we got to Spa, another circuit where they hadn't tested, and they were they were sort of firmly at the back again. You know, of the of the sort of manufacturer pack. So you know, every time there sort of seems to be a bit of promise, the next race it sort of it dissipates. It's yeah. Well, before we finish off, a word on Glickenhaus and Vanwall, probably. Actually, we need to need to have a chat about those as well. Well, it's great that they're in the championship, isn't it? And, you know, we should all be thankful to Jim Glickenhaus that he he um, signed up for the championship, signed up to do an LMH car. He actually put his hand up long before anyone else did. Um, you know, without him, the championship would have been in dire straits uh, in 21 and, and the early stages of... Uh, of 22 because there wouldn't really have been any opposition uh just just alpine for for toyota so it's really it was really great that he's been there and you know he's had some great results a podium at le mans last year a couple of podiums last year sorry a couple of pole positions last year could have and should have won at monza but for a turbocharger problem you know we're in a new situation a much more competitive situation Glickenhaus is a small spending minnow basically you know the BOP is there to equalise things but there can't be a change for him in relation to the other LMHs until after Le Mans so there's not he's not going to get a helping hand there and between their last race last year which was Monza and Sebring this year they did no testing just one sort of a bit of running around somewhere uh, for photographic purposes of an owner of the car actually driving it. Uh, 
So, you know, they haven't had that kind of development program that Toyota had or even, you know, the, the development program the newcomers have had of pounding around the test tracks of, of, of Europe and America. You know, I just, you know, if you're, not, if you're not doing that, you're not going to be at the sharp end. That's just a simple reality. Vanwall, it's a nice looking car. I mean, you, you look at it and it's a properly well-built racing car, unlike its predecessor, by Collis, the team built the LMP1 car, had various different names, a CLM and Enzo CLM. Yeah, the P101, I call it, because it had so many different names and uh, engines. You know, it is a, a step forward on that. They haven't got the most out of it yet. That's that's uh, clearly the case. And they've had, yeah, they've had accidents, a small team. They're not going to beat the factories. That's just the way of the world, isn't it? It's the the law of the jungle Absolutely. if you like we'll finish off by talking about the classes um, if you would as well mention for Lee Lu would do from last weekend but also the various classes that we need to get up to speed on uh, before Le Mans well as you've mentioned Lee Lu would do I mean a, a really significant milestone was achieved as she became the first female driver to win her class in a world endurance championship race the caveat to that is the modern world endurance the caveat to that is of course since 2012 when the WEC restarted its modern guys we've had female outright winners before um, Lella Lombardi and um, Desiree Wilson yeah both won races out, outright in, in the early 80s in the old world sports car championship but you know a really significant achievement and, and Lilu was, was was asked about it in the press conference and she said, yeah, it's great, but the most important thing is is the championship. And she completely brushed it off. It was it was very interesting listening in to her speaking um, because that crew finished second at Portimao, narrowly denied by a superb defence by Nikki Katzberg's Corvette, but no points whatsoever from, from Sebring due to a, a lap four monster shunt from Luis Perez Compank, the former... Uh, Argentinian rally driver who ended up on his roof in in the Ferrari, um, so that that victory for um, Wadu, uh, Perez Compank and, and Alessio Rivera has moved them into second in the in the GTM standings behind Corvette, who somehow managed to pull out a second place at Spa. They they won the first two races in Sebring and, and Portimao, and. Ben Keating went a lap down early on at Spa from from taking the wet tyres, which he said was the safe call, but it was it was the wrong one, and it meant they had a real long afternoon before they got back onto the lead lap and just held off Aston Martin, which wasn't really at the races in um, in Sebring or, or Portimao. So we had three different manufacturers on the podium in Spa, which which was good. Um, just off the podium was the Iron Dames Porsche, which ran really well um, in Portimao. So that will be another um, team to watch, an all-female lineup with Sarah Bovey, um, Rahel Fry, who's the, the sort of project manager of, of that um, Iron Dames all-female effort, um, and Michelle Gatting, who uh, is the silver in that car. Um, so it'll be a really interesting fight in, in GTM with, with those four manufacturers all, all, all gunning for it. Corvette clearly the form team of the WEC so far um, in the final year of the GTE AM rules before GT3 cars come on stream next year. It'll be really good to see um, a proper multi-mark battle. Uh, And in LMP2, 
I mean, who knows what the outcome is going to be there. I mean, so many good cars and so many good drivers, aren't there? In recent years, until obviously the influx of manufacturers for this season, LMP2 has arguably been one of the most interesting classes to watch because you've, you've regularly got grids of more than 20 cars for Le Mans turning up. And in the WEC so far this season, we've had victories from three different teams. Now, Sebring was won by Jota, which was an invitational entry for that round. It didn't count for points because that was um, the entry that's since moved up to the hypercar class with the Porsche 963 and LMDH. But we then had in Portimao a 1-2 for United Autosports, um, which was won by um, Guido van der Garde, who was standing in for for Tom Blomqvist. Um, Oliver Jarvis and Joshua Pearson. Now they were that uh, Blomqvist, Jarvis, and Pearson were incredibly unfortunate to lose out on what looked like a, a, a certain victory in Sebring because of uh, a very circuit-specific problem. Now, as Gary mentioned, it's an incredibly bumpy track, and the in-car camera that they had was shaken loose from its mountings and knocked the kill switch. So the engine died and there was nothing they could do about it. They were out of the race. And when the car was brought back to the pits, they had a look over it, worked out what the problem was, flicked that switch and it fired up immediately. So a really... <laughs> Devastating way to lose a race. Oh, okay. if, 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 what happened uh, was it this this camera came loose, sort of on almost on a sort of dashboard at the front, came loose, and there's an external kill switch for the marshals to p- p- yes. pull. So when they pull it, it kills the electrics. Yeah, yeah. It pushed it yeah. from the inside, right. pushed it into the off position. It was just like you, you, ha- you couldn't. You'd you never couldn't do it again. It. Well, it wasn't their fault because they don't mount the camera. Yeah. Um, but it's just like you, you just you you couldn't predict something like that happening. It's I mean, that's like, a, a huge points loss for them. But they've come back really well since then. The twenty three United car, and they ended up finishing second last time out at Spa. Um, Blomqvist was one of the, the stars of the race. He took pole position. Uh, he was um, a bit of an outlier, perhaps, and as the platinum driver he was starting whereas most teams start their silver driver so maybe that goes some way to explaining the 45 second gap that he pulled in the first two stints but that's still a huge gap um, unfortunately for them it was wiped out by the second safety car in the race and that sort of compromised their strategy but as it ended up into the final 12 minutes we had Blomqvist was was in the lead and he was followed by the 41 WRT car which had a four second shorter pit stop and that jumped Louis Delatraz, Robert Kubica and Rui Andrade into the uh, into victory so WRT becoming the third different team to win a race this year and personally although you know Kubica and Delatraz won't regard it as highly as a Le Mans win it meant that they finally became winners in the WEC you know they came they were a lap away from winning Le Mans in 2021. This may appear on another podcast that we go on to talk about um, fairly soon. And they were denied there by uh, a, a f- another freak problem that, that cut the engine. Um, so it, it took until now for them to become WEC winners, which seems remarkable given that Louis Delatraz is now a double European Le Mans series champion. And we all know about Robert Kubica's pedigree. It's an incredibly tough class to call LMP2. Um, there's also the um, Pro-Am subclass, which means that, you know, come qualifying, then, you know, we may well see a, a Pro-Am car right at the top of the 
uh, order. As we record this podcast, um, it's a day since uh, a feature went up that, that I wrote on Ben Barnacote, who has currently, at the time of recording, 100% podium hit rate this season across IMSA and the ELMS. So I spoke to him. He's fired up. Um, even though he's in a Pro-Am car, um, you know, in, in the ELMS There'll be multiple cars in that subcategory that will be out for victory. One of them being the TF Sport run, you know, uh, uh, Team Turkey car with Sally Yolic, um as part of the driver lineup, which won outright um, in the Barcelona ELMS um, season opener. So, again, a, a really strong result for a Pro Am subclass car. Could one of those take the fight to, you know, uh, a standard LMP2 crew in which? You could say that the weakest driver is is a is a is a graded silver. Pro Am cars have to have a bronze in there, um, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out with a, a field of um, Orica Gibson zero sevens, which sound brilliant, you know, with the the V eight engines buzzing around the track, and and because there's so many of them in the race as well, they sound like flies buzzing around the track. It's brilliant. Just to clarify, Pro Am is only LMP two Pro Am is only at Le Mans and in the LMS. It's disappeared from the WEC this year so we haven't seen any of those racing in the free races of the WEC but they join us at Le Mans. But look I think all of that just goes to show what we said which is this is tight it's fascinating it's interesting to watch might be something to learn as well if you're kind of getting into it a little bit more this year but so many reasons to uh, to, to follow the uh, follow Le Mans this year and in fact, sports car racing, you can read everything that we put online at autosport.com. And regular readers and subscribers of the magazine will all know all too well uh, the coverage that we give it and why this year looks like it is going to be one certainly to remember. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the podcast today to look at the state of play of sports cars in 2023. As the countdown is well and truly on, now Spa's out of the way to the big one, Centenary Year and Le Mans 2023. Make sure you follow us for all of that build-up and coverage. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.